0: For March 18th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 246, Monkey Chlorians. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, I am your host, Matthew Rather, back after a week's sabbatical from the Overthinking It podcast. And I thank very much uh, the, the hosts uh, in my absence, Pete Fenzel and Mark Lee. Thank you very much, guys.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> Mission accomplished.
0: <laughs> Why do you sound sarcastic?
1: Well, I, I thought I was sounding smug. Was I sarcastic as well? As, <laughs> uh, no, I just thought we did an awesome job and everyone should listen to that podcast
2: that we did without yeah. all of you. <laughs> it was no, totally I, awesome. And yeah. for doing it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, made you guys... me, it made me want to play Star Fox badly, so mission accomplished. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you get a gold star for that one, definitely.
2: Yeah.
3: Where, um, do you guys remember that Like, if you shot the right asteroid, you could go to the Bizarro Dimension, and then like you had to fight a slot machine to the death?
1: I talked. To, I made a joke about that on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's one of my throwaway I was just lines. To
3: imagining it.
1: Yeah, not about the slot machine, but definitely about like Fox off shooting some random asteroid to go to the Bizarro Dimension.
3: <laughs> and then you, you could never return. Even if you won in the no. Bizarro Dimension, you could check out any I mean like,
2: but. but you can never leave. So we I are we're here, all with- stuck in that bizarro dimension from the '90s. Okay? Guys, <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, we're here to talk about uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, uh, Oz in general, the terrifying film that I couldn't make it all the way through as a child. Return to Oz. Uh, the uh, uh, the stage musical Wicked and the incredible Burt Wonderstone, which is of a piece with all of the above, for some reason.
1: <laughs> Magic is the reason. It's the reason for the season.
0: I'd also I went to Disneyland yesterday, and I'd like to give just a little correspondence report on something amazing that I witnessed uh, in Disney's California Adventure Theme Park. But first, it's the question of the week. Here it is in honor of the release of a film that we're not going to talk about, at least not on this episode. I have a feeling we'll get to it because I think there's buzz around this movie, guys. I think that this, you know, not since Julian Donkey Boy has Harmony Corrine, uh, you know, released a, a scathing, satirical, borderline exploitative indictment of American popular culture uh, as Spring Breakers in honor of Spring Breakers. What season would you like to break? <laughs> Interpret that broadly. Interpret that however you will. First in the alphabet, drink, because it's not Peter Fenzel. It's Matthew Belinky.
3: <laughs> hey,
0: guys. All right, so I'm going to go with
3: uh, Vivaldi's The Four Season Breakers. <laughs> <laughs> and what this is going to be... I'm not going to go ahead and say It's a rip-off of the Da Vinci Code But it's going to be very similar to the Da Vinci Code It's going to be about a secret society Who, Antonio Vivaldi Unbeknownst to people, was not just a a Talented uh, composer But actually could harness the power of the elements And encoded in the very DNA Of his series of violin concertos The Four Seasons There is uh, the power to actually uh, Harness the weather The the scorching heat of the summer the, The burning you know penetrating cold of the winter and not as as spring and fall are actually not as useful but really summer and winter could be very uh, valuable in the wrong in the wrong hands very very deadly and so the hero is a uh, a young musicologist uh played by since tom hanks i'm assuming will not be available for this tom hanks's son colin hanks who you might remember from orange county and not much else uh but he's still out there he's in the trenches i looked at his imdb page he's appeared on robot chicken once um and I'm sure he'd be very grateful to play a young uh musicologist who who the government flies him out to 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 uh Europe for this globe hopping adventure with this young, sexy awesome. I I don't I don't I don't know who his assistant
2: is. What what do you what do you get of your music? Oh, some, some Austrian sort of... Austrian violinist and her yes, name is played by Diane. Kruger. right, Diane Kruger. Right, because like National playing, playing, playing and the of, violin music. Yeah.
3: Yeah, is is actually critical that you need to you need to get a certain violin that like you have to break out of like some museum and like you have to play it at the right on at the summer solstice uh, to harness the power. And there's and I'm assuming that like uh, Nicolas Cage will be in it. So Vivaldi I don't, I don't was, really know
1: how Vivaldi was a synesthete, right? Was he synesthetic? Um, oh, and that like
2: he, he saw colors in the music. I thought so. Was I it, am I remembering, remembering right.
3: that correctly? If I love so, the that, way you're saying that, as if like, everybody knows that, and you're sort oh. of apologetic for not knowing it for a fact. <laughs> perhaps,
1: perhaps. I thought, he, I thought he was. I thought that he had synesthesia, which is the phenomenon of, of your senses being connected, such that music might cause you to see colors, or smells might cause you to see shapes, or things of that nature. Which would be awesome, because how awesome would it be to code messages into music that only synesthetes could see? Because they pink them, and like, like, you could do a whole thing where you have to build a computer to simulate synesthesia, uh, and, and it like paints the, na- the the location of the of the treasure document uh, in the sky or something like that. Guys,
0: I'm, d- I'm I'm still I'm- stuck back on that that sick burn on Colin Hanks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's my boy. You know, is not he, a- is no. he your boy? Yeah, not only, uh, not only. <laughs> has uh, has he did a, he did a whole season arc on Dexter that was pretty good and had uh, I mean was awesome for two reasons one he was mostly in scenes with Edward James almost and uh almost famous <laughs> <laughs> Uh and two, there was a great reveal about his relationship with Edward James almost later in the season. Um but he had a whole TV series built around him with Bradley Whitford of West Wing fame uh called The Good Guys, where they played uh where they played uh, uh sort of an odd couple pairing who were cops. And he was the he was the uptight straight laced one, and Bradley Whitford was a uh a mustache wielding uh cop who played by his own rules.
1: Give me your badge and your gun, Pulaski, like that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's always Pulaski, or it's like uh, what are the other names? Kowalski, like that's, that's yeah. They're the, always new new scene.
0: They're always going. Uh, they're always going after my people, the poles.
1: <laughs> exactly you know they're asking okay. for their badges and their guns all the time and taking them off the case so,
0: I, hate, I hate to disappoint us, but first so that they we don't get so, <laughs> first they came so, for my
2: badge and i did not because
1: uh. <laughs> i'm not a badge then they came for my gun and i did not speak up because i'm not a gun
2: uh, <laughs> i hate to disappoint folks but so, so we don't get well actually in the comments um, uh, searching wikipedia for synesthesia and for vivaldi uh, does not suggest that vivaldi himself was a synesthetic That he saw uh, actually saw the colors in his music, which is too bad indeed. But um, But you
3: know what I did learn from looking at Vivaldi's Wikipedia page just now? His nickname was the Red Priest, uh, which I'm assuming is because of his habit of using a flaming sword when he fought in the Belize at King's Landing.
0: (laughs) 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 No, that's Thoros of Myrrh. Right. Oh, I'm going to get get... confused (laughs) all the time. (laughs) I'm going to get really well. Actually, if I got that wrong, that's (laughs) a that's a deep (laughs) album Game of Thrones cut, and it's been a couple years since I read those books. Right, well, it's going to be one of those episodes, because we're not even on to the, the second person doing the question yet, but you know who it is? Uh, drink, because it's Pete Fenzel!
1: Hey! Uh, I think that it's, it's the first, the season that I'm going to break is going to be Tommy DeVito, the guitarist for the four seasons. Uh, I think uh, and it's, it's I, I'm not sure whether it's going to be a situation where he is serving tennis balls at me. Uh, I think he's in his 80s now, perhaps his 90s, uh, but even that i will have to break his serve or that uh he will have some sort of key piece of information that i will need to get out of him via interrogation that will require me to break him uh, but he's a durable man i mean he was he was uh he's on stage with frankie valley in in uh 2005 at the opening of jersey boys and you know <laughs> he's been going strong that man was born in the 20s people fellow new jerseyite uh but you know what sometimes somebody's gotta somebody's got to get broken
0: you are uh, a long uh, uh, you are a long-lived people you new jerseyites
1: that's true, we're, we're sturdy, it's in the water We develop certain immunities to death Because it's in the
0: water So
1: yes, yeah, exactly <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah No, no definitely, it's, uh, I mean, you could also have Frankie Valley Break the four seasons, or the seasons break Frankie Valley uh, Either one of those two exchanges Would also be acceptable I believe Someone just needs to get broke
0: Frankie Valley, uh, wow, I just learned from Wikipedia That Frankie Valley too is still alive Yeah 78, oh, totally. 78 years young
1: yeah, keep it going. Happy
3: birthday, Frankie Valley!
0: Woo, you're that just too good sunny. to be walk true. Walk like an old man.
3: Yeah. <laughs> walk walker like a man.
1: Yeah, walk like a senior, older. <laughs> something along
3: those lines. Uh, Move on to the next person. Move on okay. to the next person.
0: <laughs> I was waiting for this to, to spur a, a large set of digressions.
1: Whatever um, it was, it, it wasn't costs. that good. Move on to the next person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mark Lee. Okay. We, talk, we talked about seasons in the context of uh, the four seasons, both um, you know, the, uh, in terms of weather and in terms of the band. Uh, we haven't talked about sports seasons, though. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, not actually uh, specifically a sports season, but let's say football season, but fantasy football season. And uh, when we say we're going to break a season, we could either uh, say that in terms of taking a break from it or actually like, cause it to stop functioning. So I'm going to go with the latter And my movie Fantasy Football Season Breakers is going to be about how the NFL, uh, for some reason, dismantles uh, the infrastructure around fantasy football and drives it all underground there are CD fantasy football leagues going on uh, that involve the exchange of drugs and or fights to the death well, they're,
0: they're, I think there's a
2: real market for this they're famously
0: litigious aren't they and sort of very protective of their intellectual property um, there was this kerfuffle over like not being able to take pictures inside football games or something like that
2: or right, like, right. So, like, you, you can't say like you're having a Super Bowl party you have to say it's like the, the big game party or the, the the sale for the big game for TVs and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah,
0: no, this is a real thing. Um, it's, a re- it's a So this is a realistic. This is ripped from the headlines. This film.
2: Well, I don't know what exactly the NFL stances with regard to fantasy football in particular. Uh, I'm sure they encourage it uh, with you know in, in ways that they can still control because it inspires an intense interest and in fanhood in not just like a particular N- NFL uh, team that you follow, but sort of all of the games. Um, So it it, it would take a bit of a stretch uh, for the NFL to ban it. Maybe like they they want to control it all. So they set up their own league and it it, like it's missing something that the uh, the other independent, you know, whatever you get on Yahoo Sports uh, can offer you. And they're trying to control things too much. And then uh, by squeezing too hard, things slip through their grasp.
1: I'm imagining them as sort of like a Dennis Leary from Demolition Man kind of situation, where he has like sort of the subaltern people living below the streets and trading and drafting players and teams. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a dystopian technological uh, action thriller uh, along the lines of the Star Trek: The Next Generation episode "The Game," where a uh, where participating in the NFL fantasy football league actually sort of turns your brain to goo and turns you into a you know zombie automaton for the. you know, for the corporate interests that control uh, the NFL and uh, well, all governments.
1: If actually Judd is involved, like she is in that episode, then I'm all for
0: it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it's a very special night um, tonight. It's not often that we get to welcome a new overthinker to the podcast uh, for... Uh, his or her first appearance, and so i 'm very glad that uh, we have one tonight the 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 overthinker who uh, joined the site uh, as a permanent sort of regular uh, writer uh, a while a while back uh, in late two thousand and twelve and has been contributing great articles, uh, getting great response and and uh, you know him. Uh, you love his writing, and now here he is to love on the podcast. It's Richard Rosenbaum. It
4: probably doesn't deserve... No,
0: no, no, that, you're a little early oh. for that.
4: Now we have to stop. Oh, I'm Harvey oh. oh, God, you <laughs> sorry, woke
0: him sorry. up. Sorry. Richard, you woke him up.
4: <laughs> but, I, oh, no. Where's my pills? Ah. He, he never rests for long. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys, it's my first time. Be kind. Um, <laughs> yes, so, thank you. Uh, for having me on the podcast it's kind it's, of awesome
0: go it's wonderful it's wonderful to have you can can i interview okay. you a little bit but, uh, you know before we get sure. to your before we go get ahead. to your answer because i mean now you're not just a, a sort of quasi anonymous byline even though you use your real name it's not anonymous but you know it's it's I mean, it's anonymous for all the good it does just to know somebody's name so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself i understand and it's okay if you're uncomfortable talking about this but I understand that you are not American.
4: Uh, as a matter of fact, that's true. Ooh. I am. <laughs> I am uh, from your larger <laughs> and colder neighbor to the north, Canada. Excellent.
0: We're Yay! going global, people. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We've been a little global, but this is a good part of the globe. Global part of the globe we haven't visited yet. They're very kind and nice, and apologize whenever anything goes wrong. So it's <laughs> um, So, yes, so yeah. I'm assuming you're deep in the deep in the Yukon territory, right? Obviously, yes. yeah. Like obviously,
4: the, the 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 middle of the Yukon, uh, known as Toronto.
1: Okay. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh,
4: which is nice. yeah, which is like as um, as Alec Baldwin described it on. Uh, Thirty Rock once—it's um, like New York, but without all the stuff.
3: I'm imagining like sled dogs, sort of in the street, like little hitching posts where you could tie up your mush team when you go to like the Whole Foods, which I'm yes. assuming you have there because it's not—it's not the Arctic.
4: Yeah, well, we only have the sled dogs during the summer. and the winter, it's way too cold for them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they would uh, never survive out there so there you are so there you are up in 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 toronto how do you how do you fill your days when you're not overthinking
4: uh well i have a day job which is you know pretty
0: depressing don't we
4: all (laughs) yeah um and other than that writing stuff and trying to write stuff and failing at writing stuff and playing video games instead
0: mostly well, hey, you've succeeded at writing stuff for over for overthinking it, and for that, true, true I have. For that, the internet thanks you, sir. So, uh, uh, so you. hey, it's a, you know, take a deep breath because it's your first time, and, and you'll you'll never be a podcast version again. Remember, remember what it feels like, you know, uh, and um, and tell us what season are you going to break?
4: Uh, well, uh, being a Canadian, I figured I was going to go for the sports as well and i would break the uh nhl hockey season mm. um i have to stick up for my for my canadian roots but as some people may know some people may not know uh this season was severely truncated due to a lockout the owners locked out the players for several months there was no hockey whatsoever well no nhl hockey and uh Eventually they worked out their differences. The millionaires and the billionaires figured out uh, a compromise. And uh, the the season did eventually begin. However, as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, that's kind of a bittersweet victory because uh, until the season started, my Leafs had not lost a single game. Which
3: (laughs) is no longer the case.
4: Yeah, which is no longer the case. (laughs) Uh, And probably, as usual, it's going to end up with them being one point out of the playoffs at the end of the season and therefore also not getting any useful draft picks. Um, And so that's a little bit difficult. So I I would have, I would break the NHL hockey season so that the Leafs could have ended the season tied for first
0: place.
1: (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. excellent. definitely yeah busted out
0: um well i guess uh, i guess it's down to me um i thought that someone was going to actually pick a, a season uh but our answers were all too clever by half so <laughs> so um I, and i am not going to do it either i i'm going to break seasons of love the unofficial theme theme song from rent um it's it's uh it's over guys it's played out at this point and I I really it was wonderful and moving when we first heard it in rent and if you saw rent live on stage uh, you know goodness knows I shed a tear uh or two when um uh when spoiler alert uh you know the angel runs back out at the end, um, just to sing the last number. Though he's still dead. Uh, <laughs> would, Matt, would,
1: would candle, Matt, would you light my candle, Matt? Light <laughs> my candle.
4: But uh, that landlord just wanted them to pay the rent. <laughs> That's all that he
1: wanted was them to, to pay the stupid rent. And if they just paid the stupid rent, then it would have been
3: fine. Nah, right? yeah. Not But no,
0: they what? haven't
3: even paid last year's rent. Much <laughs> less <laughs> this year's rent or next year's rent. Uh,
0: rent, re- rent, 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 you rent, rent,
4: would- <laughs> rent. Five hundred
2: twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. So
1: would you would you subdivide the seasons of law? Into like different numbers of minutes for other occasions. So it'd be like 25 minutes of watching an episode of Bangel minus the commercials, 25. Or is it like you'd 12, break minutes, it, like, just 12
0: minutes of morning brewing my coffee artisanally? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, let me tell you when uh, I knew the song Seasons of Love was played out. Um, I uh, I happened uh, largely to make my mother happy. I happened to go to church on the first Sunday of Advent uh, this this past year in in. Uh in 2012, and it was December 2nd, 2012, was the first Sunday of Advent, and the, uh, the progressive, you know, west side of Los Angeles church that my mother goes to uh, sees fit to observe World AIDS Day every year, which is December 1st, and so in honor of World AIDS Day, the church choir, uh, no,
2: as, no the cl- didn't.
0: <laughs> as the closing hymn to a Catholic mass, sang... Uh, in its entirety with the, the solos, you know, the sort of extemporaneous seeming solos recreated verbatim by individual soloists in the various sections of the choir, the unofficial theme song from rent, uh, seasons of love. And at that point, um, I knew that any, that the, at that point, at the point when, uh, Rent When Seasons of Love had been co-opted by the Catholic Church to the point that it was part of the liturgy, um, I I knew that any uh, pretense of being counterculture or being, you know, um, revolutionary or being sort of having kind of outsider artistic status, um, any pretense of that was gone from Rent. And so it is finally time to break uh, the Seasons of Love.
2: I mean, you, you, blame, uh, what, you blame the fact that this song is played out. I blame the Vatican and its inability to control, um, you know, the, the liturgical experience across its various dioceses.
4: I'm sure it'll get better now.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Actually, Francis is a big Urinetown fan. So it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So before we get into the movies, guys, can I can I just tell you something that I saw? Uh I went to Disney's California Adventure um this this weekend and uh and I saw something that that I guess they're doing for the summer season. Um and and you know starting now in the spring that that um just Blew my hair back. Uh, They have a uh, a sort of an adult themed or sort of targeted at at teenagers and up, you know. Um, You don't mean
3: adult
4: themed.
0: (laughs) I don't mean – well, you know, (laughs) honestly, hold that thought.
4: Um, Disney has sued a bunch of websites for just exactly that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, they had a, uh, an attraction that was done like a sort of block party in, in a certain section of, the, of Disney's California Adventure Park. Um, I don't know the history of it. My first experience of it was stumbling across it and sort of experiencing it unmediated without a lot of, uh, you know, without a lot of background information. Um, called the Mad Tea Party where a uh, uh, power trio plus, you know, tenor, belter, um, vocalist plus keyboard player uh, does um, a rock concert that lasts, you know, in, they do three or four sets that last from like 6 p.m. until 11 at night. And they're dressed up as characters from Alice's Adventures uh, in Wonderland. Right? So the MC, the singer, uh, is the Mad Hatter. And it's like, hi, I'm your MC, the Mad Hatter, and here we go. Pour some sugar on me. And then he introduces Alice. And a a like a, a sort of rocker chick looking right like um, urban deconstructed blonde wigged Alice in Wonderland comes out and uh, does a, a duet with him on "Journeys Don't Stop Believe And then they sing a rock and roll cover of the song "A Very Merry Unbirthday to You" from <laughs> the film Alice. Uh, from the, the Disney Alice in Wonderland film, which segues because uh, into a cover of a kiss song because what Alice wants for her on birthday is to rock and roll all night and party every day. And this is done. I mean, they, this, they have like... Oh,
2: I'm glad it did that and not, I don't know, uh, Love Gun or any <laughs> of other kiss songs.
0: There was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of going all night. There was a lot of um... Sort of un, unedited lyrics and, and things like this. Anyway, I posted a picture from this on the overthinking at Twitter. The, uh, the Matt Hatter wears, obviously, the big hat and has a, you know, a, a crazy wig. Um, the March Hare is the bassist and has, like tie-dye rabbit ears. you know The Cheshire cat is the drummer. And it was it was this incredible spectacle that was a, a sort of desecration of of everything I hold dear uh, about rock and roll, right? Like a spirit of rebelliousness, like foremost among it, uh, a sense that you're pissing off your parents. Um, and, and it was just it was just packaged into this super slick, um, you know, Disney show, and. And I confess to you all, I thought it was awesome. It was so <laughs> damn well done. uh you know, when they started when they started singing, "Don't Stop Believing," uh, my girlfriend and I looked at each other and it's like, "No, they're not going to. Oh wow they they did. um it was pretty uh covers of Justin Timberlake sang uh, you know god they sang everything so you know i I highly recommend we don't do pics anymore but i highly recommend if you happen to be uh going to disneyland and and you want a a, just a brain meltingly intense um cross-section of cultural experiences that you go check out the mad tea party and it's by the way it's letter t the mad capital t party um and get the they didn't uh, have
2: mr t no, uh, no, nor, nor, nor a platform of uh, strict budget controls and tax cutting. <laughs> no, in yeah. all seriousness, they probably spelt it that way to avoid uh, any allusions to the political movement of the same name. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm just overthinking it. I guess so.
0: <laughs> so I guess uh, I guess you saw a little a little film called um, called uh, what is it called? Oz the Great and Powerful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, that's the topic, Matt.
0: <laughs> well, sorry, I had too many Oz things. I had too many Oz things in my head. Was it was it Wicked? Was it Return to Oz? Was it The Wizard no. of Oz? Was it? Uh, but it's called Oz the Great and Powerful.
2: Yes, that is the most recent movie that came out, starring James Franco. The gritty uh,
0: reboot of No, I think Spring Breakers is the most recent movie that came out, starring James Franco. But go that on, is true.
2: and uh, that is it's hard to keep track sometimes. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, Richard and I both saw Oz the Great and Powerful uh, within the last couple of weeks or so. Uh, I think there's a ton of things to talk about it. Um, where should we start, Richard? Do you have anything in mind, or should we start with maybe the uh, the this this tricky issue we have with the legacy of the original Warner Brothers? Uh, not. I say the, the 1939 Warner's Brothers movie. I, I was about to say the original movie, but there was actually at least one, if not two film adaptations of the Wizard of Oz prior to that. So anyway, right. what I'm saying is that there, we have a tricky issue of the legacy of that Warner's brother, uh, 1939 Wizard of Oz, subsequent versions of the Wizard of Oz, and now Disney coming in with its own version of the Wizard of Oz uh, that is based on the now public domain, uh, novels written by Frank Baum of whatever his name was. Uh, and sort of, this sort of competing legacy of uh, what it means, what the "quote unquote" Wizard of Oz means in our imaginations. Well, I, I just I'm sorry. Well, actually, uh, Warner Brothers
0: re-released it in in '98, but it was originally an MGM movie, like all those great, mm. all those great sort of early musicals. MGM Metro, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Well, actually,
2: so this um, this recent Disney version of it, right? They can. Borrow liberally from uh, The source material Of the original novels Um, They can make a lot of references To uh, the movie But there's a certain line Which I'm sure a a team of lawyers drew for them Which is you cannot cross this You cannot reference Ruby Slippers um, Because they're not in the novels Um, They were silver in the novels Uh, You cannot reference any of the songs Uh, There's no Dorothy Um, There's all sorts of other things That uh, you would expect to find in a Wizard of Oz movie But you don't because, Although there's like a to reference for... to Dorothy's mother, Dorothy's parents, who are already
4: dead by the time uh, the actual Wizard of Oz, the wait, original, really starts? I, yeah. no,
2: I missed that. What was what was the reference?
4: Oh, uh, well, the woman uh, at the be- near the beginning of the movie who is talking to Oz, who Oz says basically, you know, you should go marry that other guy. Uh, that was the the man that she's planning to marry is. Uh, John Gale, oh, and Dorothy, Dorothy's parents. Their names I don't think are ever mentioned because by that point she's living with her aunt and uncle, uh, Henry and M. Right, right,
3: yeah. Uh,
4: But it's it's implied that 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 uh, Oz had uh, some kind of relationship with Dorothy's mother prior to these events.
2: That's really interesting. Yeah, so it's a clever way.
3: Yeah, and I mean you have to think about this in terms of like they want it to be a franchise. I think they've already announced the second, which I'm already thinking of like what else does Oz refer to himself as besides the great and powerful? So the second movie could be Oz
0: Colon, the Fast and Furious. Oz Harder. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like go more, more great, more powerful. Too great, yeah. Too great, too <laughs> powerful, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like a surf movie it's like oz the righteous you know oz the the totally like bodacious and tubular is that what it is or oz kicks back
3: right, Oz Armageddon.
2: yeah exactly exactly um, it's funny you mentioned that because mm-hmm. I, I so um disney is planning on this new franchise right uh, of wizard of oz movies I, I correct me if i'm wrong but i think warner brothers also has a new uh wizard of oz project in the works as well right so you know we're sort of going to see competing versions of uh, the canonical wizard of oz story in in movies and uh, we're gonna have to live with both of them going side by side it seems
3: yeah. You know I mean I was actually thinking about this this weekend that we're so used to the idea that intellectual property is infinite or at least is infinite in the modern era that the idea that like multiple studios could do multiple takes on the same movie and have multiple franchises going is weird. It would be like imagine if like like Star Wars had gone into the public domain after I don't know, you know, 30 40 years and anyone can make Star Wars movies that they want and anyone can use Yoda in a movie. And it it seems weird to and it almost seems like a bad thing to us, right? The idea that there's no Quality control that there's well, no it might official have been Star better Wars than there. letting
4: George Lucas do
3: it. Right, I know, and and, and it, 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 in a way, like the way that you say that is sort of implies that like maybe it's a bad thing that like there's too many Wizard of Oz movies. But I almost feel like we've been institutionalized by our copyright law into mm-hmm. thinking that the idea that like Wizard of Oz is not under the control of a single studio is like a potentially bad and chaotic thing, and the brand is going to get diluted. <laughs>
0: This is I mean this is something that Pete has talked about right like b- before the with you know being pro remake generally or pro I guess pro like strong remake right like cuz this is the version this is the situation that we have it it would be like anyone like not just the King's men could just mount a production of Hamlet you know
1: mm. I mean when yeah. you yeah, the stated constitutional purpose of things like patents and copyrights and stuff is uh, to advance the arts and sciences. Right. The idea is we have these protective mechanisms in order to uh, encourage people to do the work uh, because that incentive creates advancement in avenues that we care about. It's not so that people are rewarded because they deserve it. It has nothing to do with your deserving. It It has to do with if there is no intellectual property protection, then progress grinds to a halt because nobody has an incentive to really do quality work. Um, which, you'll, which I'm sure you could see if you go on YouTube a lot. I mean, the people who aren't getting paid for the YouTube videos—they make you know bazillions of them. Maybe one of them is any good. Um, but yeah yeah yeah. I mean it's I, I definitely i 'm pro remake because it happens with plays you know you it 's much easier to license a play than to license a movie idea, uh, and, mm-hmm. and so you see different productions, different plays yeah no I've, I've totally talked about that before I, I would love right. to see a whole bunch of different Wizard of Oz's, Wizards of Oz, uh, well, but whatnot.
4: at the same time uh, well. this movie does a very does a tough has a tough job to to do, but it um it tries very hard to locate itself in the continuity of the original Wizard of Oz movie. It doesn't try to be a remake. It actually tries to position itself as closely as possible within that continuity, which ends up making some pretty uh, interesting...
3: Comments. It'll be it'll be interesting to see
1: if the Warner Brothers one makes a similar choice, right? Yeah, if they come out yeah. with another one, it'll be interesting to see whether they're both making the play to try to be seen as the legitimate series. That's probably what's being battled over, I suppose. Right. Well, um, but something yeah, that yeah. something
4: that occurred to me when I was watching this is that uh, they did a good job of uh, sort of diversifying the Land of Oz. Um, you notice there are a lot of uh, you know minorities. There are black people. There are Asians in the Land of Oz which there never were in, as far as I know, as far as I can remember, in the original Wizard of Oz movie, mm-hmm. which, if you think about the implication, it's kind of creepy, because what happened to them all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's really like, sad. <laughs> I know, it's, it's really disturbing that Oz is portrayed as this, you know, it, eventually this really good guy, but it seems like his arrival has... Turned Oz into some kind of, you know.
1: I mean, well, it happens in Star Wars, but they retroactively make it make sense because Darth Vader is a right. genocidal maniac, right? He like literally exterminates all of the all of the like the fun Viking folks, right? And so that's that's a reason why there aren't you know why Mace
4: Windu isn't around when the series right. is going. But um, it's, it's yeah. yeah, so it's pretty it's pretty disturbing. It's something that I couldn't stop thinking about.
3: You know, I mean, here's the thing: to me, this movie sort of lives in the... And this is probably a a somewhat unique perspective. Not everyone will share this. But to me, it sort of lives in the shadow of Wicked, um, which is a very popular Broadway musical. I mean, as popular as Broadway musicals get, which, let's face it, like they're not... They don't have the cultural currency that that blockbuster movies do. But it's a long-running Stephen Schwartz musical on Broadway uh, based on a uh, a book uh, called Wicked, uh, which is meant to be a prequel to The the Wizard of Oz that tells the story about the... uh, Less about the wizard himself, but more about the, the good witch of the, uh, the, the good witch of the, what is it, the north? North. And the, uh, the, the, uh, wicked witch of the west and how they became that way and their sort of rivalry and, and the, the sort of secret history, uh, behind that. And I love the musical and I think a lot of people, and, and there's been talk over the years about trying to make it into a, uh, into a movie uh like an actual movie musical especially like nowadays with like you know every couple of years there's this big uh, narrative about the movie musical is back uh and it's this sort of uh dormant IP that you know could could be a great role for for you know to uh I mean I th- I think the the only reason it hasn't been a musical so far is it really doesn't have a lot of strong male roles and it's hard to mm. launch a big budget special effects extravaganza without that without like strong big you know all you could do you put the two women on the poster but that's not, and you know, it's a sort of a sad, but true truth of Hollywood that, like, you know, it, it would be a, it would be kind of a two quadrant movie um, to speak the lingo of, of the time. Ta- but to, I don't know. To, to me, it's like there already is sort of a beloved Wizard of Oz prequel story out there in the ether. And this is sort of an alternate take on those same, that, that sort of leads up to the same start point, which is the movie that we all know and love. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with Wicked. When
2: you evoked Wicked, which, I, by the way, I just saw this afternoon, it's it's fantastic if you live or uh, if you live in New York or if you're in a city where the, the traveling production is going to see and you haven't seen it, by all means, uh, treat yeah. yourself to it. It's fantastic. I, but it's it's when, really great. When you brought up uh, Wicked and that version of the Wizard of Oz story, I thought you were going to reference uh, Oz's like racist slash genocidal agenda against uh, the animals in oz yeah right do you recall well, he's,
3: this? Not, he's, he's pretty openly villainous in that movie and he's per- yeah. portrayed as this sort of like uh you know character who sort of demagogue uh the innocence in order to sort of bolster his power which is all built on smoke and mirrors uh and it's it's, it's about sort of like you know the, the the way that politicians have to like uh create enemies in order to like rally the people around them because otherwise what do they got
2: Right, right. It's looks like sort of an Orwellian kind of thing. Um,
3: yeah, I mean, it's, it, it becomes very dark and and, 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 and I mean, and in a sort of a clever way, it's not. I don't think it, it leaves you feeling bad about the world, but like it does have that element to it.
2: Yeah, maybe we'll come back to talk about uh, the wizard as he's portrayed in Wicked uh, later, but I want to stick with Oz the Great pow- Powerful for a moment. And, uh, Richard, I want to get your take on this, uh, you having seen the movie. Um, I know, sorry, guys, who haven't seen it. <laughs> Taking a break from tradition here. Um, in, the, in Oz the Great and Powerful, the character of Oz is portrayed uh, mostly sympathetically, right? He sort of has this change of heart going from just a huckster, trickster, con man into someone who actually wants to help the people of Oz, Right. right. And how he does so is um, what I would argue is, is basically through the power of, of cinema. <laughs> through, the, through You know, it's the way they talk about in the movie. It's like he's using his skills as an illusionist, as a magician, you know, deception and things like that. But what he does is he puts on a show, right? A, a, a motion picture show. Of he uses the technology of cinema and special effects to defeat the witches and to get his way. Right.
4: right. Well, he kind of idolizes... Um edison throughout the movie
2: edison, yeah you're right yeah i was let's say houdini i think houdini is mentioned as houdini,
4: well more houdini more so also edison. but more so edison right as a trickster basically he 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 casts him as his model mm-hmm. and this goes against
1: so there's a you know popular saying someone can remind me who this was that you know any insufficient any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic Right? Um, is that what Orson Scott Card maybe said that? Someone will correct me on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but but do they make a meaningful distinction? This is this is also to sort of make a deep a deep reference. This, by the way, was the subject of David Duchovny's abortive English PhD essay when he was uh, going to be a uh, an English professor. He wrote an he's writing a dissertation uh, his thesis on. Um, uh, on the difference between European and American concepts of magic versus technology, and how in American literature ma- uh, technology tends to have a moral imperative, whereas in, in, uh, in European literature it tends not to have less of a moral imperative, and magic tends to have more of a moral imperative, like in America, we treat our our cars like they're like magical horses. Um, right, and something like that. So, like, in this case, is there a sense that, like, Edison, if you're saying Edison is a trickster, that says to me Edison doesn't have actual power, but Edison can fry elephants and does, right, like, in order to, like, <laughs> make an example of Nikola Tesla, right, Like or something no, like uh,
2: that. this Oz's magic or his science, whatever you want to call it, it has great power, right? It, like, mm-hmm. uh, he turns the tide uh, w- without it, right, and He he takes this plucky band of underdogs uh, who are, you know, in a, in a regular fight would be no match against the armies of of Oz, or against uh, whoever the, the witches are that are controlling the Emerald, Emerald City, um, and he takes them on, and, and he wins.
1: But does he do it by using the ability to make appearances and making visual symbols yeah. uh, that, are, that are influential, or does he do it by, like, giving them lightning guns? The former. The former, okay. Because Edison... I mean, Tesla was more into the lightning gun thing than Edison was, but like, you know, Edison himself is, to say Edison is a trickster. I feel like that's interesting. Do they hash that out at all? Like in the movie, that whole dichotomy of thinking that Edison is powerless um, by lighting a light bulb, or what? What do you? I mean, am I just totally missing the boat on what was being talked about here? Uh,
4: well, what happens mostly is that he uh, tr- he makes the witches believe that he is invincible. That no matter that they use their real magic against him, but because he's turned himself into just a projection of light on smoke, nothing happens. Oh, I see. I see. So and that freaks them out a lot, and they they retreat because they realize that that he can't be defeated.
1: So it sort of has a little bit of the whole steampunk fallacy, where it's like they can make a dirigible that's powered off of like you know kind of atomic steam, but they can't make a gun. Right, like or yeah. something like that, you know. Like it's it's
3: very right.
4: selective
1: how they apply their technologies. They,
3: well, they they could do the Tupac hologram effect, but they can't.
1: <laughs> they can't yeah, exactly. So that's not how. <laughs> that's not. That's the just, yeah, go ahead.
3: Does anyone else on the podcast remember the movie Willow?
1: Sure, of course. I love that movie. That movie is awesome. So-
3: Willow, it, it, I haven't watched it for a long time, but it has this protagonist who really wants to be a magician and he's not really that good at it. And at the beginning of the movie, before he travels to the magical land of Oz, you see him sort of performing this trick for like the neighborhood kids, where he tries to like make a loaf of bread disappear or something, and he hmm. doesn't quite pull it off and everything. So then he's sort of like in the there's this big battle between these two very powerful witches at the yes. end of the movie. Which is this- Alora?
1: No, it's not Alora, uh, and it's it's Morda and oh gosh. What anyway continue i should be remembering
3: I, I i'm impressed that you got just one so <laughs> then the idea is uh, the good witch loses and the bad, and and the, this is one of those uh movies where there's a big fight over a baby and the baby is like you know the going to be the, the chosen one. And, uh, yeah. that's, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> the, and the bad witch wants to kill the baby. And so Willow is like, you know what? I'm a more powerful wizard than you are, and I'm going to make the baby disappear. And the witch is like, ha, there's no such magic that could do that. And he does the conjuring trick where he makes the baby disappear simply through sleigh of hands. There's no actual magic yeah. involved. And this, I believe, freaks the bad witch out so much that, like, she accidentally trips on a rolling pin and dies it's not literally like that but <laughs> she hits her. Like, she
1: hits herself with a lightning bolt because like she was going to direct some sort of lightning bolt at this altar where the baby was going to be sacrificed there's a bunch of like potential energy that's built up in this weird red smoke and she gets so enraged by the absence of the baby that her ritual becomes disruptive and she ends right. up killing herself so it yeah, seems yeah, yeah.
3: like a very similar ending where like he uses and i'm assuming that like at the beginning of oz the great and powerful you see him trying to like do- Magic act in the circus, and it's not really a hit. He doesn't really pull it off. That's and, absolutely and then, right. Uh, yeah, and then and then it's it's the the willow ploy where, like, at the end of the movie, he does the simple conjuring trick, and because he sort of does it right, he uh, he bluffs everyone into believing that he's actually. Uh, Willow uh, Warwick Davis, the great and powerful. I of him as the great and powerful, because I was a big fan of not just um, Return of the Jedi, but also the Ewok Adventure and the Battle for Endor. Yeah, uh, and the, the Leprechaun.
1: It's St. Patrick's Day that as we record this. He's, he's the star yes. of Leprechaun, Leprechaun Two, Leprechaun in the Hood, Leprechaun Back to the Hood, Leprechaun in Space. We've all of those movies. <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, then Willow Willow is interesting, uh, because in Willow, and I want to touch on this a little bit across the different magic movies that we all watched this weekend, because I watched the incredible Burt Wonderstone, which I feel like ought to be connected to these stories, because it's also about a fraud <laughs> magician. Um, but uh, in Willow, the way that magic is framed, and people remember this, is the elder... Comes out to select his apprentice, right? The sorcerer's apprentice in the in the There's village options. of the little people. Exactly. Oh, by the way, the, the witch's the witch's name was Fin the one who turns into the possum and and then fights Morda. Um But at any rate, uh, he comes in and he asks, "What finger has the power to control the universe?" And he holds up his hand. Right? And then uh, Willow picks one of his fingers, and he closes it, and he's like, there's no apprentices here. And the answer is he should select his own finger. Right? Willow should, should select that his finger has the power to control the universe, the idea being that magic is sort of about believing in yourself. It's about like uh, – it's not really about accessing something external to yourself. It's kind of like a to thine own self be true kind of moral, and that's kind of the moral force of magic in this world. Um, in like in Burt Wonderstone, it's like, well, what is magic about? Right. And it's like, well, magic, it's, it's, there's a bunch of speeches that the different magicians in this movie make about magic. And one magician says at one point that it's uh, it's the power to make people believe things that they know aren't true. Right, which is like the sort of big macro set And that's divided into two subsets Which is one is to create a sense of Awe and dazzlement such that everything is possible And then the other one is uh, To take people's nightmares and turn them Into dream realities right? And sort of like make people, so that's the sense of like Either make people think that all these sorts Of good things could potentially happen Or that all the worst things that they can imagine Are already happening, right? And that's sort of like The battle for the soul of magic, which is done Between like the, the reformed Burt Wonderstone and the awesome, awesome Awesome performance by Jim Carrey As the sort of Chris Angel mind freak David Blaine guy Who keeps disturbing everybody So it's like there are these moral statements about what the different Magicians are, what they stand for What magic empowers them to do So it seems to me the Oz and Great and Powerful You have the witches who have like this actual magic And you have Oz who has this fake magic uh, and the fake magic is superior because it's the magic – it's sort of like a postmodern discourse of power magic where you – like perception is reality. Like yeah, people yeah, exactly. will follow you. Yeah, yeah. Like you can create a nation by convincing people that you have the power to create a nation. And like what is the power of the witches? Is that, is that validated in any way or is it more sort of like a big bad skull monster evil power that's not important well, to explain?
2: But let, let's briefly just like catalog what the witches do with their real magic. Um, they, you know, the the, the the Glinda flies via bubble, right? Which is something we see in the uh, in nineteen thirty nine Wizard of Oz, right? Um, uh, uh, I can't remember the which 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 one of the Wicked Witches can shoot lightning, green lightning, very painful, powerful lightning with their hands.
4: Yeah, that's um, so, the
2: Wicked Witch of the West. Um, is it of the West? I really yeah. get them. The, my my directions yep, mixed I up. I believe so. Um, but that's the kind of magic. That the green one. This. No, she shoots fireballs. Oh, she shoots fireballs. You're right. Yeah. So the Wicked Witch of the West shoots fireballs. Wicked Witch of the East of the shoots East, lightning shoots, Palpatine like, style. Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> it's like that they can access that intellectual property, but The <laughs> character Dorothy. <laughs> Does he be like,
2: everything has transpired according to my design. Now die, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, and all the monks... All the- all the munchkins <laughs> at the end sing, sing "Yub Nub." I assure
1: you, the deflector shield will be quite operational when your munchkins arrive.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh man, it sounds like Bane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, actually, there is a, a Batman reference in there too. In there. really? Yeah, I was I was going to make this joke, and then then the movie made it for me. It's like, maybe I'm not the wizard that they deserve, but I'm the wizard they need.
2: Oh, Lord! <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 that
1: happened. <laughs> uh, you merely adopted Oz. I was born.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Do they have the backstory? Do they have like lots of unnecessary backstory where it's like, hey, you know what? People love explanations. Like, <laughs> let's explain why the monkeys can fly because that was something that the old movie was sorely lacking. Well, you see, what happens is there's an updraft, and the monkey. <laughs> you would think it's the it's the uh, it's the Bernoulli principle, but actually, the monkey's wings
2: are lighter than air. Oh no, no, no! It's, Wait, it's, it's, it's actually midichlorians. <laughs> it's midi oh, good. Monkey chlorians. Yeah, yeah. No, the movie does not suffer from that. Um, it's not a perfect movie. Uh, we don't have to catalog its flaws. Uh, in fact, we should probably switch gears and talk about the Burt Wunnerster movie in a little bit. But um, I will say this about the, the presence of flying monkeys in this movie, and it's uh, not enough. Zach <laughs> Braff uh, a, has a great turn as the comic relief. Uh, yeah, I actually think he was the best monkey. part of the movie. Yeah, and he has a lot to do in, but say, the first half of it and kind of fades way into the background in the second half. It's, really it's just-
4: only the flying baboons that are
2: evil. The flying monkeys are fine. Uh, Yes, yes, yes.
4: Really? They do that? They just make visions of them in the movie? Yes, they do.
1: That seems entirely unnecessary. (laughs) Wow, That's like when I watch my friends reading like Alien versus Predator comic books and there's like different colors of aliens that fight each other. And it's just like the kind of complications you have to come up with when you have to keep telling stories and you don't want to. Uh, it seems unnecessary. Or is there like an army of tin men that all have axes that they throw at people like an axe gang? <laughs> like,
4: there, is <laughs> an, there is an army of scarecrows.
3: Oh, good. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Mm, yeah. Begun, man, it, this scarecrow war has. <laughs> Just
3: one, one quick question about the, uh, about the movie That in The Wizard of Oz the, the 30s movie we all know and love The Wizard is obviously an older gentleman Far older than James Franco So I'm wondering if the If the setup of this movie makes it possible So that like, you can imagine in the sequel Dorothy shows up and it's sort of like another spin on the events of the wizard of Oz from more of the wizard's perspective, or if it's like clearly that's decades off and there's a lot more chess pieces to be put into place before you can tell that story. Yeah. Well, this
4: happens before Dorothy was born long before Dorothy was born before her parents were even married. Um, and I get the sense that by the point that the wizard of Oz occurs, Oz himself pretty much is a figurehead. He just sort of sits there in the Emerald City and answers people's questions and pretends to help them.
3: And barely yeah. ever sees anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: The great and powerful Oz too is actually gonna be him participating
1: in World War One. Right? He's like he leaves Oz and he has to go enlist so that he can go overseas. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all basically
0: the second season of Downton Abbey.
1: Yeah, exactly. Shot for shot, <laughs> exactly the same. The scene where the, the scarecrow shows up, horribly burned, and like claims to be the Wizard of Oz is, is very forced. <laughs> it's pretty much pretty to the shark. Yeah, exactly.
0: Deep cut. Oh, deep cut. And then it's never deep seen cut. from. Never, never heard from again.
1: Yeah, exactly. Scarecrow <laughs> vanishes, well, never to be seen again. Exactly, exactly. So do you want to get in some some Bert Wonderstone? Oh, talk?
0: Pete! I, talk like, like I've been waiting for this all week. Oh really? Yeah, for your your allow analysis to, to of why <laughs> why Burt Wonderstone is uh the greatest film that the mind of man has yet conceived.
1: It is it is probably the best Will Ferrell movie that doesn't star Will Ferrell that's out there. <laughs> I read that on one of the reviews I read online, and I thought that was very apt. Uh, and it does, some, it does some interesting things to the movie, because it's about sort of a well-meaning buffoon who turns out to be a huge jerk. And then it's sort of reformed, because despite the fact that he's a huge jerk, he's like sort of a softy, and we kind of want him to win. That's sort of what it's like. And so Will Ferrell would play this kind of role effortlessly, but Steve Carell kind of wrestles with it. Mm. And perhaps like plays the parts of this character that are undesirable with so much commitment that it makes the arc of his character like less plausible. And then also a little bit darker. Like, I mean, okay, should I talk about spoilers for The Incredible Burt Wonderstone? <laughs> <laughs> is that what we have to do now? Because because the ending of Burt Wonderstone is really dark. In okay. <laughs> uh, a way that's not really expected. Um, is that Burt Wonderstone has to... I mean, despite the fact that there's a scene where... The, 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 Jim Carrey is amazing in this movie. Jim Carrey is the best comedic turn Jim Carrey's made in more than ten years is playing this, this role. It's like a straight a straight-up comic role, right? I mean, like, its it's got serious aspects to it. It's, like, legitimately kind of scary, where he plays this sort of shirtless Chris Angel magician guy, um he's great but uh but like this the the there's a big contest to see who's going to be the big new headlining act at james gandolfini's new hotel which is called doug which is hilarious uh and so jim carrey drills a hole into his own head with an electric drill uh, and and, like is is horribly like brain damaged (laughs) Um, (laughs) not expecting that Yeah, yeah i went there um, and then Jim Carrey and Steve Buscemi, oh, sorry, Steve Carell and Steve Buscemi unite for their ultimate trick, which is to make the audience disappear, which they do by drugging everyone with a, with a, a distilled and aerialized uh, uh, par- paralysis, like uh, an, an aesthetic gas that's derived from a Cambodian uh, recreational drug, wow. <laughs> like a thief that Cambodians chew in order to forget their suffering. Um, and, yeah, there's this whole aspect of the movie where Steve Buscemi drops out of magic and starts a charity named Operation Presto where he goes to needy areas of the world and gives them magic and it's very funny uh, it's like they really need food and water what are you giving them? I'm giving them like magic, it's not working um, but, uh, but yeah but they, they create this knockout gas right, which they use on in, the entire audience and then they like, the audience wakes up and they're in a field outside of Las Vegas right, and it's like Wow, that was amazing. Um and so there is a point where they're like, uh what you're doing is horribly dangerous and illegal and they're like, yeah, it could kill some people. Uh we should test it first just to make sure. And then they never revisit the moral qualms of this. And then over the credits, it's 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 like the Burt Wonderstone and Art um whatever his name is uh Anton Marvelton, I believe is Zephu Shemi's character's name, which are, of course, both, like, you know, shortenings. they're both, uh, you know, the horribly Jewish names, like, terribly Jewish names I don't mean that all Jewish names are terrible, but, like, these ones are made to be ridiculous, uh, and that's their, like, stage names, uh, it's them like, taking the unconscious people and, like dragging their bodies in and out of the theater and, like, in and out of the trucks that drive them out to the field, and you watch their, like, heads hitting the staircase as you drag the audience down the stairs, all right, and so, like the whole story it's a is a
3: great metaphor for for entertainment in general. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And there's a moment where an old man who's being thrown into the back. It honestly like the idea that everyone's sitting down and then the gas comes out of the grates in the floor and the bodies are all thrown in trucks is like kind of holocausty and like really huh. and like there's a scene where an the moment where an old man looks up, wakes up and looks up at Steve Carell and Steve Carell like puts his finger over his mouth and like shuts the truck door on him, <laughs> right? And oh, he also and he like makes a motion with his his fingers over his eyes, like, sleep. Um, And I mean, the thing that I gathered from it was that, like... um like with Oz the Great and Powerful, there's something metaphor, there's something meta cinematic that's happening here, where they're talking about the power that movies have. Uh, Alan Moore once described being an artist is is he very sincerely what the role of the shaman is in a in a low tech culture, in that the shaman has the power to create a reality, and that artists and storytellers have this power in a very real way, and it's something that you should take seriously. So in in this movie, it's like uh you know. It's about, well, the things that you're seeing aren't real. Well, then why do you need to see them? And the answer is that because life is really grim and dark and bullies you, and you'll be totally alone. So you need to experience this sense of awe and this expansion of possibility so that you can make friends and you can connect with other people because otherwise the world is too hostile and makes it impossible. Uh, And that's like the value of magic is that it creates friendships by virtue of creating ideas of awe. But then at the end, it's like, well – You know, the audience has just been knocked unconscious, been made to believe that they've seen something magical, but in fact have been, like, dragged along by these showbiz people uh, just for the express purpose of their own personal profit. And, like, what does that say about the movie audience? (laughs) Like, you sort of leave being like, oh, wow, I've been – this has been magic. The movie is full of CGI in the place of actual sleight of hand where, like, the the magicians are doing things to each other that are totally not – plausible right it's like you know there's a lot of gags where it's like look in your pocket oh man i found this already like i changed your underpants oh that's crazy you know like like at one point uh alan arkin makes a dove fly out of a salt shaker in a way that is it is not plausible at all to have happened through <laughs> sleight of hand and magic uh and and see asks why and he's like well i partially deboned the dove and you see the dove like can't fly and it's a wall but the point is that like you know, the, the, the sort of Steve Carell looking kind of grim, putting his finger over his mouth, putting his index and middle fingers down over his eyes and, like, sort of saying, like, you just realized that what you've been watching is a commercial entertainment and not reality. Sleep. Don't question it. Just go with it. You know what I mean? Like, there's a kind of a darkness to it.
2: Yeah, uh, the darkness reminds me of uh, of, of all things glorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the movie theater scene right where mm-hmm. um the 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 crowd of nazis who's watching um this uh, not this movie glorifying this nazi soldier just blowing away american after american and they're cheering the movie audience is cheering and then you're a movie you're in another movie audience thinking oh that's so horrible but then you also think oh my god i'm also in this movie audience and about to cheer on incredibly horrific violence perpetrated against nazis yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the other the other way this movie gets kind of deep meta into that is that there's, there's a lot of CGI and there's a lot of special effects, but a fair amount is made in certain sort of training scenes about how the tricks don't just work by virtue of the illusion that you create. Right, and this is kind of a big deal. This is part of how like Steve Carell's character builds back up from magician rock bottom, which he hits over the course of the movie, because it is, after all, a Will Ferrell movie starring Steve Carell. So he has to like, <laughs> hit rock bottom, which causes, which ends with him like teaching, like doing magic tricks at a nursing home, which is where he meets his like old magic idol mentor and like raises him back up from the earth. Um, but but it's uh, but it's like um. There are some tricks that are impressive, there are some tricks that are not impressive, but the idea is the magician has to be committed to them. The magician has to think that what they're doing is exciting and awesome in order to, to communicate the sense of awe to the person who's watching it, right? And so, like, there are, there are scenes where magic tricks happen and the illusion happens, but it's totally not fun for us to watch the audience. Like, not interesting. Uh, and it's because they're not doing the thing that makes it into magic. And I think what they're sort of telling you there is that you know the thing that makes these things magical is not the that they are impressive. It's not their sort of correspondence to transmutation or any of these things. It's like the the role that the magician has in in affecting your attitude about what's going on around you, and in fact your very reality, right? Like, the, and that just seems to hook into Oz the Great and Powerful also. The idea that Oz becomes kind of the Emperor of Oz. Uh, or whatever. Does he name the country after himself?
2: Is that what he does? It was already named Oz by the time and he his, shows up, and his name is already Oz.
4: Yeah, there's a there's a prophecy that uh, oh, a who, uh, who, who yeah. has the same uh, name
2: as the country,
4: and that's how they <laughs> oh, know God. that he's come to. Yeah, that's how he knows they've come that he. That he's
2: yeah, to the, uh, for it, There's
1: go. not a freaking prophecy. I think, I I know. think my, my favorite line about that is the one that Matt had about the, the Street Fighter The Legend of Chun Li, where it's like everyone's <laughs> telling Chun Li that she's the only person who can beat Bison. There is no evidence of this.
0: <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> like, there's no reason to believe that only ch- that only this teenage girl can beat M Bison in a fist fight.
2: Yeah, we um, should do an entire podcast episode about weak prophecies. prophecies. Yeah. But just one other thought on on Oz the Great and Powerful and and and, uh, and Oz and the sort of like the, the meta. Uh, message of storytelling that we're talking about here is I feel like this is something that, uh, that storytellers, in this case movie makers, are sort of predisposed to do, right? They're predisposed to tell this kind of story because it makes them awesome, right? Uh, I mean, like the other example that, that comes to mind is Hugo, right? Martin Scorsese's movie about how uh, movies are awesome and how movie makers in particular are like the modern magicians and uh, sort of create uh, new realities, for people. Um, so it's not so much of a surprise that we're seeing it in something like Oz the Great and Powerful or Oz. I guess the surprise that there is one is this uh, the, the flip at the end of uh, the, the Burt Wonderstone movie, right? Which sort of ridicules the audience for going along for the ride, being pulled along for the ride.
4: I think it would be interesting uh, for the exact, that exact reason to see maybe the sequel to Burt Wonderstone could follow the, the audience, their reactions to having had this experience. On the, you know, be like, <laughs> like, uh, beyond Burt Wonderdome. Mm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think the original case of this is probably, I mean, not the original, but the one that, I, one that I think of as sort of foundational is the book of John, right? Like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through, you know, this idea that, that, uh, that a Word is synonymous with divine authority. And you are reading a word that is claiming, uh, in its statement, to also imbue and reflect and enact and carry the will of the same divine authority, right? This this idea that, um, and I think this, I think this probably, Matt, maybe you can confirm me for this idea of logos, right? Uh, when it goes back farther into the intellectual and poetic conventions of, of Greek literature. Um, uh, but this idea that, that, uh, a, a scriptural authority is a very similar thing to a metatextual movie telling you about, uh, why movies are awesome, right? Um, and, uh, and so in that – and I'm not saying it's like – it's not the same scope, right? Different things are at stake. Uh, but it's – there is a quality of artistic creation that roots into this tradition that is about – that is like preoccupied by the power that we ourselves uh, take on when we participate in these things. And then, and then oftentimes try to make some sort of statement about what's the appropriate time and place to use this power. Uh, right. And I think I think the Burt Wonderstone movie does say that a little bit like it makes it makes um you know, Jim Carrey is not a good person uh, like they one of the sort of more kind of like morally difficult scenes in the movie, or more interesting scenes in the movie, you know, the Chris Angel character plays a children's birthday party and, like, holds his, lights the candles on the cake and holds his arm over the candles until the kid's name is burned into his flesh. <laughs> <laughs> until, like, Happy Birthday Judah is, like, burned into his forearm. <laughs> and they're like, and someone calls him on it. You know, J- Olivia Wilde is like, you can't do that in front of children. They're going to try that. Right? Like, it's like, you have an appropriate way that you're supposed to use it. And this also hooks into sort of Alan Moore thing. Thing, right that's like the and the and then i the Oslo great and powerful thing the very very real power that people who frame reality and people who are storytellers and people who use words or images to symbolize things have over people's conceptions of themselves and then in turn over what they do and think um right which is because that's the way people experience the natural world then becomes on a, of a piece with the powers of the natural world in a way that you know in our scientific age we like to deny ever happens right um I don't know, that's just my that's, that's a little bit of my take on Burt Wonderstone there's a lot more to talk about uh, but, but uh, I think that's how it all kind of comes together mm. uh, Tuatha, Tuatha, Efor Lou or whatever Willow says when he's waving that wand around <laughs> trying to turn Finn all back into an ostrich or person mm-hmm. I don't know
0: Well guys, hey, uh, science tells me that it's time to uh, wrap up our podcast for the week but
1: you 're telling us that, and we only have it based on your authority as an, as a storyteller, right, which means that your authority as a storyteller matters more to the effect of the thing that you 're saying than the evidence that you claim that you have it 's question begging
0: gentlemen many okay, you know, many centuries ago, a prophecy <laughs> a prophecy was foretold that there would come a podcast. <laughs> Well, this is not
3: uh, settled. It. If it was a prophecy, then that's all I need to know. <laughs> there are more Street Fighter movies
1: about prophecy as a share of Street Fighter movies than there are books of the Bible about prophecy <laughs> in the Bible. You mean as a as
3: share a, of books? As the Bible. a
0: percentage? Yeah. If you just normalize it and do it as a percentage, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are you saying because that number is one hundred percent?
1: No, it's 50%, I'm pretty okay. sure. The other one is, I'm going to go up river and
4: I'm going to kick that sorry bison sort of, so hard. He's it's
3: That's- literally invisible
4: boats. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a prophecy. He's predicting his future.
3: <laughs> That's true. That is a
4: bit of a, I'm not going home. I'm going to get in my
1: boat. And I'm going to go up river.
3: That's what I thought the UN was as, like, a kid. Jacques-Claude Van Damme, like, basically acting on his own authority. I wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Great.
2: There's, a great, there's a great piece in overthinking it that I wrote a couple of years ago about exactly that.
3: About, like, wouldn't it be great if, we, if the UN just gave their dues directly to Jacques-Claude Van Damme?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Except not. There's a great twist at the end. Oh. oh. We'll have to go back and read it to find out.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, you can do that. You can uh, email us if you want to at podcastoverthinking.com. You can participate by calling or texting 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Call or text or you can join the comments uh, on the show notes about, the, uh, about the, um, the movies that we talked about or answer the question. What season would you like to break? Answer the question of the week in uh, the show notes on this episode. We'll be back with more Overthinking and Podcast next week. Uh, We got some surprises, I think, in store uh, for you this week, something that you are not expecting. Uh, we'll be coming up on Overthinking It uh, this week. Um, and and I feel like... I'll
1: give, I, you, I'll give you a hint. It's going to be a lot of work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Like most of the best things on Overthinking It, honestly. Um, and though I, I've already kind of blown my bit by saying the name of the website... Uh, before the very end of the patter, uh, you can visit us on the web at www.ww.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it,
4: it probably, probably, probably doesn't, doesn't,
0: doesn't deserve, deserve. deserve. I'd sooner try to find <laughs> gravity. <laughs> yeah.
1: Look, Listen, 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 Calico Cat, you need to go to this country and found a nation of cats that are later going to sing a series of songs about their memories, but it's really important that we explain why you can walk on two legs and why you can talk uh, in the like, cat, the now and forever, wow. <laughs> don't
0: you? I'm scared. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it. I just have to believe in cat self.
1: You're the chosen one, cat.
0: <laughs>
2: You're the cat now, cat. <laughs>